Hey, good morning, Southcrest. How are you? Good. Thank you for weathering the hurricane to get here today, man. I mean, how many times in Georgia did you get a hurricane? And they named it Hurricane Nate. I think that's cool because we have Hurricane Nate sitting here every Sunday morning at 9.30. <laughs> Love that dude. I just want to tell you, I'm so grateful that you're here today. I want to welcome both of our campuses, Noonan and LaGrange. We want to welcome you. If you're worshiping with us on Facebook Live or online, we want to say welcome to you as well. Thank you. I've heard from many of you who are away for, uh, for our fall break time, and, and I'm just so grateful that you're tuning in and that you're going to join us today in the message. So real quickly, look at the person beside of you today and ask this question, did your team win? Do that. All right. My team lost. I want to officially announce that. Somehow, true to Oklahoma, a cyclone hit Oklahoma. Okay. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, asking God to help me the next couple of moments, but I'm just so thankful that today we get to spend this time together. So I pray your team won, and if your team lost, I pray that God would give your team grace, like my team needs grace, all right? So hey, thankful that you're here. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of James chapter 1, James chapter 1. James is one of the greatest books in the Bible when you need wisdom in your life. You say, well, I thought Proverbs was that book. Well, Proverbs is the Old Testament book you go to, but when you just need practical wisdom for how to live and how to navigate challenges in your life, James is kind of the boil the water out of the pot book. In fact, I would say that most of James is just him giving us a word to the wise. Just him saying to us, hey, I want to give you some practical wisdom about your life. So I started thinking about that this week. If I could spend 30 minutes with one person in this world, just 30 minutes alone, asking them any question, who would that person be? Who would that per- I want you to ask yourself real quick. If you could spend 30 minutes in a room with one person for 30 minutes and ask them any question you want to gain all the wisdom that you could find in life, who would that person be? You say, oh, that would be my grandma that passed away. Or, oh, that would be this leader that at one point in American history brought America to a great place. James kind of gives us that feeling. He's the brother of Jesus. And so imagine being the brother of Jesus and then after Jesus dies and you see all the resurrection and you see the power of Jesus displayed through him going up to be with the Father through the ascension and the Holy Spirit coming to years later sitting down and pinning the words of a book. Imagine the wisdom in the insight that you would have. But here's what James does and this is what I want to talk to you about today. James talks to us about something we need in our life. And it's about how do we stand in the midst of our storms? How do we stand? How do we stay standing in the midst of our storms? So I've heard this said years ago. I believe it's true. We're either coming out of a storm, going into a storm, or right in the middle of one. In fact, today as I speak to you, the the remnants of Hurricane Nate are literally hovering above us, all right? Most of us uh, swam our way into church this morning. But in life, it's the same way. It's like you're either right in the middle of a storm, you're either coming out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. And in James chapter 1, he addresses this idea of storms we go go through, but he calls them trials, 
trials, difficulties we have to face, things that we have to go through in our life. And here's what I know about trials. No one is exempt from trials. No one. Nobody. No one is exempt from the the things that we have to go through in life. But let's be honest. We all want to be exempt from trials, don't we? I mean, let's be real. Like, we somehow thought, man, if I love Jesus and I go to church and I read the Bible and I don't kick my neighbor's cat, uh, God will love me and he will exempt me from all these trials. Wrong. There's no exemption. There's no exemption from the trials we face. And when we go through these trials, here's our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to scatter. When we face a trial, none of us wake up and say, man, I hope that today I have a really big honking trial in my life that I have no way of overcoming. But when they come, we have a natural tendency many times to scatter. What does that mean, scatter? We run away from the trial. We flee from the trial. We flee from the difficulty. Or worse, because this is what happens to me, we come scatterbrained, right? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Oh my gosh, what in the world? How do I get through this? And so we start dividing up the parts of our mind and our feelings and we become scatterbrained in the trials that we face. And when we do that, we become divided. We become so divided that we sometimes begin to wonder, is God really who he says he is? Right? We want to believe God is good. We want to sing good, good father. But our circumstances scream to us, well, he's an okay dad. So trials sometimes cause us to feel divided. We begin to doubt God's goodness. Or we doubt his ability to help us walk through the trial or the storm that we feel like, God, somehow you could have prevented. I don't know about you, when, when trials happen, sometimes I ask God this specific question. God, why is this happening to me? Have you ever done that before? God, why is this, like this specific thing, happening to, of all people, me? Like, I saw that person who cut me off in traffic. Like, God, you could totally curse them. But why are you cursing me? And God's up there going, wait a minute. I I didn't realize you called the shots. Or what we do sometimes is when trials happen, we ask others, hey, why is this happening to me? Or I've done this before. I've actually given God advice. Have y'all ever given God advice before? Hey, God, I don't know if you realize this, but I have a much better plan than you. Like, this is how I would have done this, God. Hey, God, I know you're not aware of the fact that if you would have done this, then this would have happened here. And so we kind of go back to what we talked about last week. We live in all those what ifs. And let me tell you what happens when we become scattered, divided, or we doubt God's goodness in all the storms we face in our life. We come to a place where we start accepting our struggle instead of standing on God's promises. And this becomes kind of the mantra of our life. Hashtag, the struggle is real. Here's my life. Here's what I'm going through. Here's what God wants me to to press on through. And so I just kind of live in this mentality of hashtag, the struggle is real, right? You're 10 deep at the Walmart line and you're praying to Jesus. They open three more lines very quickly. 
And you, you just feel like I just got to live in the, the substance of my struggle because I don't know how to get out of the storm. I don't know how to move through it in my life. But I want to tell you this today. We are not made to struggle through the trials and storms of this life. We are meant to stand through the storms and overcome them. And today I want to tell you that James tells us how we can do that. James, the brother of Jesus, he's writing to a group of Jews who've been scattered Sound familiar? The Bible tells us in the first verse of James 1.1, they were scattered. Why? Because of persecution. Persecution had broken out. Now, let me tell you this. The church, when it first started, didn't grow because they had amazing buildings and awesome worship bands and great lights. The church grew when persecution happened. It was storms and trials that caused the church of Jesus Christ to go to every part of the world. Why? Because it forced those who were followers of Christ to ask this question. Am I going to sit in my struggle or am I going to stand in the storm on the promises of God? So we don't have to live this way. The struggle is not real. He tells us how to overcome it. James chapter 1 verse 2. Look what he says. Consider it pure joy. Everyone say joy. Does anybody got joy here today? I'm not talking about the girl you dated in 11th grade, okay? Does anybody got joy here today? I like what James says. He says, consider. What does that mean? It's a choice. What you're facing, you got a choice in how you see it. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters... All the single ladies? Okay. Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look what he says. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Let me tell you the greatest word in that whole verse for us today. It's the word whenever. 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 See, many times we approach life and we say our goal is to never go through a difficult time. We choose naturally the path of least resistance, don't we? We come to the point where we say, dear God, I love you and I'm just gonna try to get away from all this. And the Lord's like, no, 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 you gotta go through it because when you go through it, that's how I'm gonna build you. But here's what he says. Consider it pure joy whenever, whenever, not if ever, Whenever trials are going to come, storms are going to happen. And the choice we make in that storm is important. But here's why we struggle in it. Because he says this, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. You ever thought about those many kinds of trials? See, here's our struggle with it. Our struggle is this. We like trials of many kinds. Right? The many kind of trial. Oh, I forgot to mail that check in and now the payment's late. Oh, that's such a trial. Or, hey, this, this is happening in my life. I got sick and I didn't realize I was going to be sick. So, so we like these little mini trials. You know why? Because we want to say, man, I handled that one. But James says, the key to standing in the midst of your storms is consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What does the word many mean? A lot. 
Anybody here got lots of trials in their life? Join the crowd, right? Some of you guys ain't got no trial. <laughs> I'm praying for you, brother, because you're still going to live in the life of, I want to live in the many kinds of trials, but there's going to be many kinds of trials we face. And he tells us why this is important. Look what he says. Because through those trials, perseverance will finish its work and we will be mature and complete. See, here's what trials do. They test our faith and they develop perseverance in us. You know what perseverance is? It's staying power, the ability to withstand. I remember when I was seventh grade, I got introduced to weightlifting And I had a coach that all summer, he would spend all summer, and we had to be up there one day a week, five days a week, uh, all summer to lift. And that was the first time I learned how to bench press. And he put me down on a bench, and, and I remember I started with the bar. The bar weighed 45 pounds. And I was so like, oh my gosh, this is so ugly looking. All my friends, you know, I'm just doing the bar. But here's what I learned. If I wouldn't have added more weight to that bar, I would have never gotten stronger. Listen, folks, God adds the weight of storms and trials to our life because he's producing something bigger in us, and it's called perseverance. And I love what James says. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. What's the opposite of that? Childish and incomplete. When we avoid trials and circumstances and difficulties in our life, you know what we're doing? We're shortcoming our own spiritual growth. So the question is not, God, why are you letting this happen to me? The question must be very different. How are we going to learn to experience victory through the trials and storms we face and not feel like a victim? I thought about this because in our world, there's a whole mentality that everyone many times feels like they're the victim. We have a whole way of thinking in our culture that says, I'm a victim of everything that happened to me when I grew up. Listen, I had bad things happen to me when I grew up too. Everything was not rosy in my life growing up. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for everything that God took me through because here's what I've learned. I've learned to experience victory and not become a victim by what's happened to me. I want you to walk in victory. God wants you to walk in victory. So I want to talk about three things real quick that we've got to do so that we can take our trials and turn them into victory and never again feel like the victim. Here's the first one. We've got to realize something. Here's what we got to realize. Our trials should redirect us to God, not our circumstances. Our trials should redirect us to God and not our circumstances. I want to tell you something amazing about the God I serve. Sometimes he brings detours because he's just trying to get us to our destiny. And we go, God, I really want to go this way. Like, I deal with this all the time because I use the Waze app. I've tried it like 10 times. Every time I don't choose the Waze app way, I end up going out of my way and wasting 20 more minutes. Why? Because their ways are better than my ways. And the same is true with God. Our circumstances that we face in life need to redirect us back to God, not our circumstances. 
If you're going to experience victory over every storm and every trial you go through in life, let everything you face, the wind that comes against you, the challenges that you face, say, God, how do you want to use this to redirect me back to you, not to my circumstances? And then he tells us how. Look at verse 5. I love this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you ever been in the middle of a trial and a storm and you just didn't know what to do? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. I want to stop right there. Don't ask Susie. Don't depend on Jimmy. Certainly don't go to Facebook for your wisdom. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a promise. You you can stand on that promise. We can live on that promise. We can stay in that promise. We can go through the trial because of that promise. And here's what he's saying to you. When you face trials, where you go for the wisdom will determine where you end up. So let's backtrack that a little bit. Have you ever been through a trial in your life and you made some really bad decisions and then you see yourself at the end of that bad decision and say, oh, I missed it somewhere. Today, because our trial should redirect us back to God, not our circumstances, you and I can choose. When we face trials, when we go through storms, we just need to back it up. And we need to realize, God, everything you bring in my life, there's an opportunity. And here's the thing. When I lack wisdom, I should ask you. Because you will give generously to me without finding fault. In other words, God knows we're not that wise. We're not that smart. We're not that good. He says he'll give it to you without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But then he puts a condition on the promise. Look at the next verse. Verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. You must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by every single wind. And then he says this, the person that should not accept to receive or should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all he does. Here's what he compares it to. When you and I go through a trial, where we go, where we allow our redirection to be, if we don't allow ourselves to be redirected back to God and instead we focus on our struggle and our circumstances, here's what happens. We become like a wave of the sea. Has anyone ever been caught in riptide before? Yeah, so as a student pastor, I was a student pastor for 20 years, I would take hundreds of students to the beach every year and there was two things I prayed for. Lord, please don't let guys discover there's girls and girls discover there's guys because that could get crazy. And then number two, uh, please protect everyone in the ocean. And so we always had a rule and the rule was this. If you're going to get in the ocean, try to just stay waist deep because here's the thought. A swimming pool is for swimming. The ocean is not for swimming if you're not that skilled. And so, you know, you would take these students from the Midwest out there. Oh, I can handle the ocean. And it never fell. Every camp, there was always one kid. They would get sucked under by the wave of the sea. And the riptide would literally try to take them under. That's the illustration he's given us here. When we come to God, when we deal with our struggles, when we go through these trials, he said, come to me, believe me. He said, and then don't doubt Because remember what I said when we go through trials? We can become divided. 
So he uses the term here, and the term is double-minded. Double-minded. Have you ever been double-minded before? The word means tossed about or unable to stand. When we look at our circumstances, we can become distracted, and when we become distracted, we become double-minded. It's kind of like this. I remember when I first got married, I offered to take Tracy to anywhere she wanted to eat. I was like, I'll take you anywhere. And so it was one of those nights where she looked at me and she said, well, I think I want a hamburger from this place, but French fries from this place. (laughs) And as a man, you have a decision to make. Am I really going to love my wife and take her to two locations? I know none of y'all have ever experienced that. Am I going to take her to two locations? That's right. I remember the first time I griped about it, and then I realized, you know what? That's okay. French fries from McDonald's and a hamburger from Wendy's. Because here's the thing, though. In my mind, I thought, I feel double-minded. And I started thinking about that. The trials we go through, when we don't face them the right way, we end up being double-minded. And here's what we say. I know God can do this, but I don't fully believe God will do this. So let's think about that, your marriage. I know God can heal my marriage because he honors marriage, but I don't know if God will, and so I'm just gonna kind of just, just put my option B over here in the hopes that when it ends, it'll end right. My kids, I know God wants my kid to be a champion for Christ, but I'm gonna just kind of act as if, okay, God, I'm just hoping that they get out of school and don't kill anybody. Listen, folks. You know what double-mindedness is? It's the forerunner of all unbelief. James says this, don't be double-minded. You look at your circumstances, you become distracted. Then you become dizzy by all that you see around you, unable to withstand the waves and the trials, tossed by the winds and the waves. It's kind of like turning on the news. I was watching the news the other day, the first five minutes of ABC Nightly News. And it's funny because they literally, it's like a jerk in the wheel all the time. I thought, man, no wonder we're so double-minded. God doesn't want us to be that way. And here's what happens when we become double-minded. When we become double-minded, then we start comparing our circumstance to someone else's circumstance. Well, at least I don't have it as bad as they have it. Or... Worse, we say it this way. I have it much worse than they have it. So I love James. He answers that equation for us. He says, because that person, when they ask God for wisdom, they don't need to be double-minded. They need to believe. And then he says this in verse 9. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Now, just stop right there. (laughs) That's amazing because what James just says is when you go through a trial, you ought to thank God for your humble circumstances. The very thing that you're fighting God for in the storm, you ought to say, God, thank you for the humility that this is going to bring in my life. But we don't do that, right? Here's what we do. We start comparing our problems and our trials to someone else's. And we say this, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and the withers plant withers the plants, its blossoms fall, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Here's what he's saying. Quit comparing yourself. Don't do it. 
Our trials aren't meant so we can compare ourselves and our circumstances. Our trials should always redirect us back to God. Here's the second thing he tells us we got to grasp. Our trials are training for our transformation. Our trials are training for our transformation. Man, I wish I understood this when I was 24. I've fought God for many years on his training plan. God, I don't want to go through this. And God says, you're going to go through it, bro. Because your trials, if you let it, can become your training plan of my transformation in your life. Our trials are training for our transformation. How do you know that? Look at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, here's what he's saying. The trials that seem to trouble you are really meant to train you. So you can stop asking, God, why am I going through this? Have you ever noticed that your trial has a circular effect? Have you ever noticed sometimes God takes you through the same trials three, four, five, six, eight times? So so let me clue you into the way God works. If your trials have to do with the finances in your life, God's trying to teach you something about finances. If the trials in your life have to do with your relationships and your marriage, God's trying to teach you something about your marriage. Because our trials are training for our transformation. He says, when you have stood the test, and he says these words, blessed is the one who perseveres in a trial. Because when you have stood the test, we, we hate tests though, don't we? I started thinking about this. How many of you would love to know that you have to have a surgery, like where they're gonna cut you open, and you get to the doctor's office and the doctor pulls out his grades from med school, and he says, hey man, I made a D in these four courses, but we're scheduling your surgery for Friday. <laughs> Only in a third world country probably will that happen to you. But here in America, most of us would say, oh my goodness, I would never let a doctor on me uh, operate on me who hadn't gone through the right and proper test to become a true surgeon. Then let me ask you a question. Why do we think we're exempt from that in our spiritual life? Because the trials that God takes us through are training for our transformation. God sees what he wants us to become. And so here's what we got to say. Not God, get me out of this. That's a natural response. We got to say, God, lead me through this. We want out. God says, no, I want to lead you through. So that when I've led you through, you will know that it is me that is working in you. So the question we got to ask is this. The question is not, will I get through this trial, but who or what will I become through this trial? <clears throat> I used to run marathons for about six years. I would run marathons and about halfway through the training, you make deals with yourself. So about mile 18, you're out there running and you're like, okay, God, if you get me through the next mile, like I'll study the whole book of Leviticus, okay? Or, <laughs> or whatever. And, and, and so we do the same thing in our life many times. We're like, God, if you get me through this, then I'll do this. And God's saying, no, I, I want you to become somebody or something through this, Sean. Amen. So I used to have this statement. I'm going to finish this race. The question is, who will I be when I finish it? 
And what will I be when I finish it? Will I be a person who loves Jesus more or is more bitter in my soul towards the trial that God's allowed? Will I be the person who becomes more sweeter for God and more on fire for God or the person who says, I'm just gonna keep doubting God? Every trial gives us that choice. But I wanna give you the last point. I pray if you've heard nothing else I've said, I pray you'll hear this one because this is the one that just God is teaching me through. If we're going to get through the trials of this life and have victory and not be the victim, here's what we gotta realize. Not only is our trial meant to train us, but this, our mess is not meant to be our ministry, it's meant to be our miracle. So here's what trials are, they're our mess. Trials are messy, right? Many kinds of trials, not many kinds of trials, but many. We're either in a storm, going through a storm, coming out of a storm, trials are going to happen. But, but here's what I want you to understand. Our mess, our trials are not meant to be our ministry, it's meant to be our miracle. Trials may bring brokenness in our life, but that doesn't mean we're to stay broken. In fact, God wants to heal us and use us through the trials to where our mess can become our miracle. So look what James says, verse 13. When tempted, because he's talking about trials, right? He's not talking about moral temptations. He's talking about trials we go through. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And then he says these words, and they blow my mind every time. Look at verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. He's talking about trials. How many of you see your trials as gifts? You say, I want to return that gift. I'm going to re-gift that gift. I never wanted that gift in the first place. He said, every perfect gift is from God. He said, a good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Here's what he's saying to us. Our mess the trial we go through was never meant to just be our ministry, our ministry being, look at all that's happened to me. Look at what I've gone through. Look at how much bad I've been challenged by. Listen, the day Jesus saved me, I've talked more about how I stepped into marvelous light than I ever did talk about how I stepped out of total darkness. Amen. See, I'm part of Jesus' one-step program. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I've been set free. And because of that, I can stand in the storm because my ministry was never about my mess. It's about my miracle. So I saw this picture this week and I thought about it. When we go through trials, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to stand. You see the raging sea? You see the hurricane coming? But here's what we challenge ourselves in. Here's where it gets challenging to us. When we go through difficult things, here's our propensity to just sit down in our struggle. Oh, it's so hard. I'll never make it through this. 
But I want you to remember this picture the rest of your life. God's given you the opportunity to stand in the midst of the storm and not have to sit in your struggles. Why? Because our mess, our trials are not meant to be our ministry. They're meant to be our miracle. What if you saw trials as a gift instead of a curse? Trials are a gift. God, you're bringing this into my life so that I can go through this. And when it's done, people are going to see your glory revealed in me. So I want to tell you a very personal story. I haven't shared this with you in the seven years I've been at Southcrest. But I want to share with you today because I want to give glory to Jesus. And I want to give honor and praise to God. In 2009, actually it goes back 21 years, my wife had a pain condition. She was never able to overcome a chronic pain condition. 2009, that condition intensified to the point that my wife was no longer able to sit without pain. I remember in 2009, we had finished our last beach camp. We got in a vehicle, and my wife drove 13 hours home, and she was never the same way since. And I remember the next year to year and a half after that pain intensified in her life, there were many times I would get on my face before God and I would beat the ground and I would say, God, I'm serving you. I want to do this for you. I've given my life for you. And yet you bring this trial in my life. We started seeing doctors. We would travel sometimes as many as eight to 10 hour drives each way to visit doctors all over America. I remember one time, because of meetings and stuff I had to be in, I had to bring my wife to a hotel in Kansas City, and I was living in northwest Arkansas, had to drive back for a four-hour meeting, turn right back around and drive back to be with my wife in a hotel room as she recovered from a procedure. Say, why are you sharing all this with us? Here's why I'm sharing it with you. See, we have this idea that sometimes, oh man, you're on stage, like you don't go, listen, I know what it goes, I know what it's like to go through the trials of life. Over that period of time from 2009 to 2017, we've seen over 17 doctors. I remember sitting with one surgeon at the OU Health Science Center. He set us down and he said, I can do nothing for you. He was a Muslim. And he said, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that your God would heal you. And he grabbed our hands and he prayed for us. We wept. And I'll never forget looking back at him and say, when God heals my wife, we're gonna come back and see you. Because here's what I already know. My wife is already healed. We just haven't seen it on earth yet but I believe we're going to. See, some of you ask, well, why does Tracy walk around so much on Sunday mornings? Because she can't sit. Every hour, every minute she sit costs her pain. And so there's this part of us that we started buying into this lie that somehow hashtag the struggle is real until God began to do a work in our life. And here's what we learned after all these years and 17 doctors, and I'm still believing that God's gonna heal my wife because I know he will. That through our trial, 
Jesus became more real than our struggle. The reason I don't talk publicly much about that is I don't want to focus on our struggle. I want to focus on the fact that through the trial God has brought us through, we continue to see people meet Jesus. We've been in doctor's offices where nurses were going through horrible divorces and my wife was able to pray for them and in the midst of her struggle, they ended up turning to Jesus. Are you willing to see the trials in your life as a gift from God and not as a curse because God wants to take your mess and not make it your ministry? He wants it to be the miracle. How in the world is that person functioning? Because Jesus is alive in them. Some of you are just like that. You've gone through cancer. Some of you have been in comas. You nearly died. We got some God stories all over this room at LaGrange and Noonan. We got some Jesus stories all over this room. And here's what you're learning. You're learning everything you went through is not about focusing on my mess and and how it becomes my ministry, but it's about somehow through this, God is going to display his glory. And then suddenly I start seeing my trials as a gift. And all God's wanting me to do is unpack the gift so that his glory comes out of the box. (laughs) I want to testify to you today. Jesus has become more real than our struggles. Remember the hashtag? Hashtag, struggle is real. Here's our hashtag. His strength is real. That's my story. His strength is real. And so James tells us this last thought, and we'll close. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might become a kind of first fruits of all he created. What is he saying? He's saying that thing that I'm bringing you through, it becomes a gift. It becomes a fruit that's somehow coming out of you. God is going to bring glory to himself because our mess becomes a miracle when we show the world God's power and grace through us started thinking about that. Trials are a gift. So I want to leave you with this one quote. A man said this years ago, talking about the gift of our trials, what you are is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. The trials you're facing, God's saying, what are you going to do with it? Stop asking God, why are you putting me through this? Instead of saying, God, What are you going to do through this? Let's pray together.